morning. Good morning. Please rise for the reading of God's Word. We are in Malachi, which is the last book of the Old Testament. The book of Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament. We're going to be actually going chapter by chapter, verse by verse. We're going to be in a couple of these chapters. But we're going to start just with... The first verse and a half. That's, that's all we're going to do at the beginning here. Malachi verse 1. The burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord, and yet you say, in what way have you loved us? Father, I, I pray that you would show us that very thing. You have loved us, Lord, in an exceedingly abundant way. And yet, Lord, sometimes we ask, sometimes we feel, sometimes we think, in what way have you loved us? Lord, there's so much here. That's what this whole book is about. That's what this whole book Malachi is about. That's what Genesis to Revelation is about. This whole book, this, it's a love letter. Open it up to us this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Hey, Gio, can you figure this out for me? It's my clock. I don't know what happened to my clock. Maybe you can figure it out. So many of you uh, got the note from me on Friday, that Anna Majid has, was taken by the Lord on Friday. She is really a pillar in the church that meets at Pastor Freddie's house. She has four children, 18 months to 12 years. Just two weeks ago, she was up here worshiping, beautiful red hair. And uh, she, was, she was taken by the Lord. He loved her so much, he took her. On Friday night, the evening of her death, they had a worship service in her house, just the kids, her husband, Peter. And Freddie just said it was just a wonderful, wonderful time of worshiping. Of course, there was tears. 
but there was so much thanksgiving. And I've been thinking a lot of things about, um, about this family. We know, uh, we know the family. They're here periodically as they were a couple of weeks ago. And thanks to you. Freddie said this morning in prayer at the 9.30 prayer, he was just telling the Lord, he was thanking the Lord that he's never looked at Anna's life and thought, you know, right, I'm sorry, after she died, which is just a couple days ago, two days ago, she died of, of heart failure. But since she died, he, he's just been thinking, there's not anything about her. I, I say, well... Wow, I, I wish she had changed that, that piece of her life. What a testimony. Calvary Chapel, you have one life to live. One. Are you going to spend it all on yourself? So they had this worship service, and uh, it was just a time of, of great joy and been thinking a lot about the kids. Of course, praying for them. The Bible says that God works all things together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. And what these kids have, 98% of kids in Boston don't have hope in Christ. And I've just been rejoicing for them because of that. Really, I have been. They have hope in Christ. Do you know how much better that is than somewhere between 95 and 98% of youth? There is no hope in Christ. They don't have that. These kids have that. I marvel, as I did just about a month ago when I was at bedside with my father-in-law who died in Christ, I am not ceasing to marvel and be astonished at the contrast between dying in the world and dying in Christ. A true celebration. Tears, absolutely. But a, a celebration of the glory of God. So there's, there's going to be a memorial service this Saturday. We will be sending that out. I spoke to Peter, her husband, on Friday, the day of her death. He was a man who was just, uh, just strong in the Lord. He was in the presence of the Lord, just speaking with me. And just in his time with the children, they've all been just encouraged. We want to be like Mom just as she was like Jesus. She spent her life on others. You have one life to live, Calvary Chapel. One. Don't spend it on yourself. That's what we're in this morning. Malachi chapter 1. Now, if you were here last week, I shared with you that uh, 
Well, let me say this. The, the, the message is, today's message and last week's message is, they are linked. Please listen to both of them. They're online. If you weren't here last week, it's very important as a foundation to what we're doing today to listen to last week. I'm not going to go over everything. I will remind you of a couple things. Number one, my confession at the beginning of the service that in 20 years, I gave prior to last week one message on Sunday morning about financial giving. And that all changed when 2022 came in and there was a huge budget shortfall. And in order to get space for the record number of kids that are coming into our church, we rented this conference room right here as a restaurant there. We're renting it now, and, and our rent just went up by $25,000. And so, wow, I'm seeking the Lord. And, and the Lord had told me, you know, you have carefully avoided this subject for 20 years. And I was thinking this week, and, and I'm just trying to shake the shame from, uh, from having done this, because I wasn't a year, a month or two into my walk with God. I was a student, in the, the, and I told you last week, the pastor spoke on financial giving, and I mean, it just set the course for my Christian life. Because m that money, what we owe, what we give, what we need, it's all around us all the time. The Bible has over 2,000 verses. And I was just thinking this week, all the men of God over the centuries who have been accused, ah, they're just want our money. And I was too ashamed to have that accusation lodged against me. The Lord is like, you are careful. All those men of God did that. And you were careful to avoid that. Well, I want you to keep me accountable going forward to never do that again. Because it's such a high priority in the Bible. Jesus says you can't serve God and money. From the very beginning... After the fall, after Adam and Eve sinned, they had two children, Abel and Cain, and one, out of a love for money, got into got in, his relationship with God really shattered because of that love for money. Abel, it says, gave the first fruits of his flock. So that's Genesis chapter 4 at the very beginning. We see the pattern for you and me. It's never changed. We are to give God the first fruits of our money. <laughs> I didn't grow up with, in churches that ever uh, taught that. I was 24 when I first heard it. It was electrifying to me. The very beginning of the Bible. And then God destroys the world because it says in Genesis 6, the thoughts of man were only evil all the time. Noah and his family were left. What does Noah do right when he gets off the ark? He offers 
an offering to God. Within a few generations, man's, man's right back to where he was. They just, uh, all his thoughts, only evil all the time. And God, instead of initiating a plan of judgment like he did with Noah when he said to Noah, start building an ark, it took him a hundred years. He initiated not a plan of judgment, but a plan of redemption, which culminated in Jesus Christ. He called Abraham out of where he was. He could leave where you are and go to the land of promise. And what do we see Abraham doing when he gets to the land of promise? Giving 10%, a tithe, to the Lord. Genesis chapter 14. And then in Exodus and Leviticus, about four or five hundred years later, those that tithing, that, that giving, was codified into the law of Israel primarily for the maintenance of the house of God. Including the Levites who were not given a portion of the land when they wound up getting into Israel their portion was the tithe of the people. At Calvary Chapel, we study the Bible chapter by chapter, verse by verse. And so one question is, is there a book of the Bible that you can go to where it's more or less chapter by chapter, verse by verse uh, about financial giving? The answer is more or less yes. The book of Malachi, the very last book of the Old Testament Who was the prophet? Anyone know? Shout it out loud. Who was the next prophet after Malachi 400 years later? John the Baptist. It says that when he began prophesying, it says there had not been a prophet in, in Israel for a long, long time. So let's go. We're going to be going from chapter 1 really to chapter 3. We can't cover it all. Malachi, I absolutely love teaching from Malachi. One reason, it's so easy. <laughs> it's a really easy book to teach from. Just because it just lays it out really plain. And what happens in Malachi is God, asks, uh, God says a series of statements that confuse the people who ask him, what do you mean by that, God? And so the first thing that he says, it says in verse 1, it says, the burden of the word of the Lord to Israel, Malachi. A burden was a weight. Ever have a weight on you? Uh, not a physical weight, but something's on you. you just get, a word that you just got to get out and share. If you have a gift, a spiritual gift of prophecy, which, by the way, exists today in, in the people of God, God's one of the gifts, the prophetic gifts. You just got to wait. You just got to tell someone. He he had a burden. The, it says, verse one, the burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. He says, "I have loved you," says the Lord, as I have begin begun so many of the messages in Galatians. You were created by God to love God. Did you know that? You were created by God. To love God. 
And so he's saying no more here in the beginning of verse 2. Him, he, he's, he's saying no more than really what the Bible says from Genesis to Revelation. I love you. I love you, Calvary Chapel. I love you. The I love you that was demonstrated louder and clearer than anything else in the Bible is the cross. It's where it all climax is the peak. In the Old Testament, they look forward to the cross. Today, we look backward to the cross. Says, in verse 2, he says, I have loved you, says the Lord. Yet you say, in what way have you loved us? In what way? So he's going to be describing in this book his love for them and the problem and the issue behind why they're not able to see the love of God, experience the love of God. Their hearts had gone, grown cold towards God. And he's going to show them. Your hearts have grown cold. I am going to explain to you why. And if you obey what I say, you'll love me. You won't be asking me. In what way do you love us? In what way do you love me? Any of you asking that this morning? Any of you wondering? And I'm not feeling it. I am not feeling it. The love. So let's go to verse 6. Verse 6 of Malachi chapter 1. A son honors his father. Meaning a son obeys his father. A son um, respects his father. The, a son is good to his father. And a servant his master. If then... I am the Father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, this is God talking. God is talking. And he's saying, listen, if you sons out there honor your father, if you servants out there honor your master, I am the Father, is what he's saying. Where's my honor? And if I am a master, where is my reverence or respect? In other words, Israel, you're not respecting me. You're not honoring me. Um, and, and then it says, says the Lord of hosts to you priests who despise my name. He's telling the priest that they despise his name. And then the next, verse, the next part of the verse says, and yet you say, in what way have we despised your name? In what way have we despised your, you, God? Verse 7. You offer defiled food on my altar. At that time, there was animal sacrifices. Sheep 
a lamb was offered every morning and every night, and really throughout the year, fellowship offerings, peace offerings, sin offerings, trespass offerings. And so that's a reference to one of the offerings that would be made at the altar of God, in front of the temple of God. There was an altar, a burnt uh, altar for, for offerings to be placed. Some of them were burned. Some of them were cooked. <laughs> Others were offered, like grain offerings were, were, were offered. It says, you've offered defiled food on my altar, meaning you've given me rotten offerings. But you say, verse 7, in what way have we defiled you? And this is, it says, by saying, meaning God saying, the table of the Lord is contemptible. Now, what does that mean? The table of the Lord is contemptible. It means, that's not where I'm putting my money at church. That's not where I'm going to make my investment at church. So another translation, do we have the, uh, the translation, Dave? Another translation is the table of the Lord is despised, meaning the table, the offering place, the place where you put your offering on the table. Um, we have an offering box in the back. We also have an offering uh, that you can do online uh, at, at Calvary Chapel. Uh, the, 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 the offering box of the Lord is despised. That's not where I'm going to invest my money, is what the Lord is saying. He's saying, I, he, he says, you're, you're despising me, you're not honoring me, um, and, and, and you are not respecting me because you say, end of verse 7, the table of the Lord is contemptible. The offering box at the church is despised. I'm not looking at that as a place where I, where I invest in, where I give my money. Verse 8 says, And when you offer the blind as a sacrifice, is that not evil? He speak, he's speaking of a blind sheep or a blind animal. Verse 8, when you offer the blind as a sacrifice, is it not evil? When you offer the lame and sick, is it not evil? And so, uh, Dave, can we have this, um, this verse from, is it Deuteronomy? Uh, chapter 15, verse 21. What is he talking about there? The sick, the lame, the blind. This is the law of Moses. The, 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 basically, Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy... Are, codify the law for Israel, the Mosaic law, the law of Moses. This was um, one of their laws. When, when you offered a lamb, when you offered a goat or a poor people offered pigeons or, or doves, it says, but if there is a defect in it, if it is lame, meaning it, it's an animal that can't walk, or blind, or has any serious defect, you shall not sacrifice it to the Lord your God. It goes on to say you can eat it. Nothing wrong with you eating it. But don't you give anything but your best, like Abel in Genesis chapter 4, don't give anything but your best to God. 
That's the point. And so he says again here in uh, verse 8, when you offer the blind as a sacrifice, is that not evil? When you offer the lame and sick, is that not evil? And then it says here in verse 8, offer it then to your governor. Would it would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you, you favorably? Says the Lord, if you had Michelle Wu over to your house for dinner, would you give her a skinny, ratty chicken? Would you do that? Or if you had President Biden over uh, for, uh, for dinner, would, would you do that? That's what he's saying. Give it to your, would you give that to your governor? And that's what you're giving to me? Israel? And you're asking me, in what way have I loved you? I do love you. Your heart has gone cold because of what you're doing with your money. <laughs> Skip over to verse 11. Malachi 1 verse 11 says this, For from the rising of the sun, even to its going down, my name shall be great among the Gentiles. The Gentiles means nations, just nations of the world other than Israel. That's who the Gentiles are. It's another translation. From the rising of the sun, even to its going down. My name shall be great among the nations. In every place, incense, this is speaking of prayer, shall be offered to my name as a pure offering, for my name shall be great among the nations, says the Lord. Now, it's a real sad, sad thing when God is trying to convince his own children that really he's great. That's a pathetic picture. When God has to come to us and say, listen, I'm great. Why are you not treating me as great? He goes on to say, verse 12, but you, pro um, but you profane it, meaning my name. You profane my name. In that you say, the table of the Lord is defiled. Same thing. The table of the Lord, the place where the Lord is, where we have all these laws and in our law that tell us to bring the first fruit of the lamb, the first fruit of the grapes, the first fruit of the, um, of the grain. Oh, that's just, I can't be bothered, is what they're saying. It, it, it's like um, today, you know, the, the church... I can't be bothered with what the, the Bible tells me about bringing the first fruits, the tithe to the church. I mean, my email's free. My document share is free. All my music is free. Church is free. It's free. The offering box of the Lord is contemptible. It's despised. That's what this book is about, the book of Malachi. It says, you profane it. You say, um, the table of the Lord is defiled. Its, fruit, it, um, its food is contemptible. You also say, oh, what a weariness. 
This is just so weary, having to serve the Lord, having to give to the Lord. You sneer at it. Anyone know what sneer means? Do I have to act it out? Don't make me do that. No, no, who said yes? No. I don't, I don't. And you sneer at it, says the Lord of hosts, and you bring the stolen, the lame, the sick, thus you bring an offering. Should I accept this from your hand, says the Lord? But cursed be the deceiver who has in his flock a male. So the male sheep were, um, he fatted those male sheep and, and they were um, what was used for, for eating. But cursed, verse 14, be the deceiver who has in his flock a male and takes a vow, but sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. Meaning they, take, they keep the best for themselves and just give God um, the leftover and again this very very sad I would say pathetic end of verse 14 it says for I am a great king says the Lord of hosts and my name is to be feared among the nations God was a great king, and they didn't know it. Where'd their money go? Into their houses, into their clothes, into their cars, into their vacations, into their stuff. There's a book which I believe was prophetic, meaning it spoke to the spiritual condition of the church in the United States of America. It's by David Platt. The name of the book is Radical. Now, I, I do have a big issue with the name of this book. The name of this book, and I say this completely serious, it should not be radical. It should be normal. The 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 name of the book should be normal because it describes the normal Christian life. But he named it Radical. And the problem I have with the name, my brothers actually talked uh, with David Platt, but um, who is just a very, very godly man, a bold man. My brother, who has been a missionary his whole life, went to him. He used to be head of a, the largest mission board in the world. He says, my brother told him, um, you know, here's something I see on the mission field that's a really, really big problem. That afternoon, David Platt is just repeating what my brother was sharing with him. Um, but he's bold. He's a bold guy. And this is what he says in this book, Radical, which should be normal, but it's radical. Speaking of... The American church. It says we are redefining Christianity. And indeed we have in the United States of America. We have redefined it. We are giving in to the dangerous temptation to take the Jesus of the Bible and twist him into a version of Jesus we are more comfortable with. A nice middle class American Jesus. A Jesus who doesn't mind materialism and who would never call us to give away everything we have. 
He would never do that. A Jesus who is fine with shallow devotion that does not infringe on our comforts. Because after all, He loves us just the way we are. A Jesus who wants us to be balanced, who wants us to avoid dangerous extremes, and who for that matter, wants us to avoid danger altogether. A Jesus who brings us comfort and prosperity as we live out our Christian spin on the American dream. But then this is how he concludes this point. David Platt, but do you and I realize what we are doing at this point? We are molding Jesus into our own image. We're molding Jesus. We're just fashioning a God out of our, what we want to be God. We're molding Jesus into our own image. He is beginning to look a lot like us because after all, that is who we are most comfortable with. But the danger now is when we gather in our church buildings to sing and lift up our hands in worship, we may not be actually worshiping the Jesus of the Bible. Instead, we may be worshiping ourselves. In the book of Amos, that was exactly what was going on. They were going to church, to synagogue. At the time, it was not synagogue. It would have been the temple. And he told them, I despise your feasts. I hate your feasts. I do not savor, I mean, I do not enjoy your sacred assembly. Though you offer me burnt offerings and your grain offerings, I will not accept them. Nor will I regard your fattened peace offering. Take away from me the noise of your songs, for I will not hear the melody of your stringed instruments. Uh, what was going on is they were just essentially worshiping themselves. That, that is a terrifying thought, that I may be doing that. Worshiping myself, but calling myself Jesus. So what was the cause of the problem in Malachi? This book of Malachi, what was the cause of the problem? You know, when I look at... Actually, let's, let's go on. Hmm. What should I do here? Hmm, hmm, hmm. Okay. Let's not go on. You know, when I, when I teach on a subject like this, particularly now after so many years in the pulpit, I really, my biggest fear is that people will just hear, hear about this. I'm supposed to offer my first fruits. I'm supposed to offer 10% of, of, of what I have, the first 10%. My biggest fear is that um, people will run out and just start doing it. But it won't be from their heart. 
but it says really clear what the and it says really clear what the issue is is here in in Malachi what their issue really was the root cause and it was this it it, it it's the end of verse 14 it says again God is telling him I'm a great king and you don't know it because you would not be offering me the spare change in your pocket if you knew who I was. Uh, for I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name is to be feared among the nations. Why is it that you don't give God your best when it comes to your money? Calvary Chapel. Could it be that you don't know that God is a great king? Could it be that it hasn't gone from your head to your heart that that great king became a blood-soaked offering for you? What is the motive? I, I, I want the motive for, for whatever change you make in your life. I, I, I want the motive to be right. And, and I want you to take your Bibles. By the way, if you need a Bible, raise your hand. If anyone needs a Bible, we're going to go to Acts chapter 2 right now. We're going to go to Acts chapter 2, and we're going to see a picture of the people, a group of people, of Christians who made an adjustment to their financial giving based upon realizing that there was a, their great king became a blood-soaked picture of horror on the cross, and that was their issue. They, they put him there. They caused the blood. Go to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Now, the book of Acts is a book about the first church. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And then after um, his resurrection, um, uh, before he went up to heaven, about his teaching. The book of Acts is about what happened next. It's about the first church. It's about the very first sermon. The very first person who got into a pulpit like this, it didn't look like this, but uh, Peter got up, he gave, the apostle Peter, um, who had denied Jesus three times and then was restored by Jesus in love three times, he got up and he taught a sermon, he taught a message. And so important that you go to a church, you look through the messages of the book of Acts and you attend a church where they are preaching these messages throughout the book of Acts. Because it has it all in, this, in these messages. It speaks about the death, the, the death of Jesus, the resurrection of the Jesus. But go to verse 36. I'm just going to read a few verses here from now to the end of the chapter. Verse 36, the first sermon ever given, the first message, the first homily ever given. It says, how about this for boldness? And this is what you and I need. We need bold people in our lives to be teaching the word of God to us. Hardly a more bold statement was ever made than Acts 2, 36. Here's what Peter says to the multitudes of people before him. He says, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ, meaning uh, uh, Christ, the Savior of the world. 
He's Lord in the sense that he's master of you and everything else. And he is the, uh, the Christ, meaning he is the Savior. And you crucified him. Now, almost certainly most of these people were not at the cross we're not even at the cross. They probably weren't even present. Some of them may have shouted out, um, crucify him, but most likely most of them had not done that. Nevertheless, he's still telling them, you crucified Jesus, Lord and Christ. And what was their reaction? Verse 37 says, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. Every Sunday morning I pray, Lord, please, Cut the people to the heart. Cut my heart to the heart. When they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? In other words, we agree. We killed Jesus Christ. Would you please? We get a lot of guilt. We got blood on our hands. We get blood on our heads. Literally, they had the blood of God on their heads. What do we do about this? They were overpowered with their guilt. And, and so um, verse uh, 38, Peter said to them, you're all going to hell. Absolutely not. He did not say that. He said, repent. Do a 180. Whatever direction your life was going in, just turn around and go towards Jesus Christ. Go towards God right now. That's what repent means. Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission, meaning the forgiveness of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That is grace. That's what grace is. You deserve a punishment. And what do you get? A gift. You get a reward. Is that crazy? Do we know anything about that in the world? No, we don't. But in God, we have it. We deserve a punishment. And we get a gift. What's the gift? Best gift anyone could ever get. The gift of the Holy Spirit. By the way, the Bible says the fruit of the Holy Spirit is everything we want. Love, joy, peace, kindness. Go, give me more of the Holy Spirit, Lord, please. But anyway, they got the gift of the Holy Spirit. And it says, but the... Verse 39, but the promise is to you, meaning the promise of the Holy Spirit, is to you, to your children, and to all who are a fall off, far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And so he's saying, this gift is for you. You crucify Jesus, but you repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus. This gift is for you. Next verse. Look at this, verse 40. And with many other words, he exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse, which means twisted. Be saved from this perverse generation. I hope you know, Calvary Chapel, that this generation that you're in will destroy you. And Peter's saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. And then look at verse 41. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day, 3,000 souls were added to them. Verse 42, the four pillars of every single Christian's life, los cuatro pilares de cualquier vida de, de, de una persona cristiana, 
They continued, number one, steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, meaning they read the word of God. Number two, fellowship. They were in church and in community. Number three, they, they broke bread, meaning, that, 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 speaking of communion, listen, if we don't take communion, we're going to forget that it's only by the blood of Jesus that we have anything, any relationship with God. And then number four, prayer, verse 42. Then go to just 44. It says, now all who believe together, rather, verse 44. I've got to calm down. I've got to calm down. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So, verse 46, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. The point being, Calvary Chapel is, is this. When you recognize that you, that you killed Jesus Christ, your sin put him on the cross. If there had never been any sin in the world, there never would have been any cross. Our, our sin, your sin, my sin, we killed Jesus Christ, we crucified Jesus Christ, but through turning to him, saying, come in now, I'm, you're going to be my king. You're a great king, come in. You receive the a gift of the Holy Spirit. And then what happens? It says they gladly gave their money. They gladly gave it up. So what do I pray throughout the week for you all? I pray that you would see the connection between your sin and that scene of horror on the cross, the bloody God, God with blood-saturated body, you can see the connection with your sin and that your sin was so bad. My sin was so bad. It took the death, the crucifixion of the Son of God to take it away. So back in Malachi, quickly... So famously, in Malachi chapter 3, God says another statement, and again, they're going to question him as to why he's making the statement. Verse 6 of Malachi chapter 3. I can't help myself. Go to verse 1. Verse 1 is last book, last, last book of the Old Testament speaks directly about Jesus Christ coming. It says in verse 1 of Malachi 3, this is God speaking, behold, I will send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. That's speaking of Jesus Christ. First thing Jesus did when he came in on Palm Sunday, where'd he go? To the temple. And it says, even the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he's coming. Jesus is coming. He was telling him that. 
At the time Jesus was born, many, many Jews were like, okay, where is he? He's about to come. So Malachi, one of the reasons was Malachi's um, um, prophecy. So verse 6 says this, I am the Lord, I do not change, therefore you are not consumed, O sons of Jacob. Meaning, I'm God, I don't change, I still care about you, even though you're in rebellion, even though you're spending your life on yourself. So wonderful, that example of, the, example of that woman of God who just went to be with the Lord on Friday. Would that we all have that testimony. Verse 7 says, Yet from the days of your fathers um, you have gone away from my ordinances and you have not kept them. Then he says, Return to me and I'll return to you. So go back to verse 1. Remember he said, I love you. And they're like, in what way have you loved us? They weren't feeling his love. Why? Because they were not, they were giving the thing they loved the most, their money, to everything else but the Lord's work, but the Lord's temple, but the, but the Levites, the workers. They were giving to, and, and, and he says here, he says, return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord. But they said, end of verse seven, in what way shall we return? Verse 8 says, will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me, but you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Hey Dave, can we get the Leviticus verse up there? So God's telling him, you robbed me. What's he talking about? He's talking about the, the, the law they knew all about and all the tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or the fruit of the lamp of the tree is the Lord's. It's holy to the Lord's. And, and that's to the Lord. And that's why he's saying, you've robbed me of it. You're spending it on yourself. You're spending it on, on your lavish life or, or whatever you want, and, and you're robbing me of it. He says in verse 10, bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. It's a sad scene when in, in a nation, we see it in the book of Judges in the Bible, when pastors go around uh, uh, the, the, having to work in, and the, the houses of worship are in, uh, crumbling the way they are in Boston. That's a sad testament to the, the spiritual temperature of a nation. Bring, verse 10, bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and now try me in this, says the Lord, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. Meaning God will bless you as you give your first fruits, as you tithe, as you give the first 10% of what you have. Now we discussed this for a little while last week. We're no longer under the law. 
Israel, actually, if you add up the tithes, they were 23% of their income they gave to God. We're no longer under the specific laws of Israel. But we are under the command, I believe, to tithe. Jesus speaks favorably of it. But, what's, but I don't even like looking at as a, a law. And I, I strongly, I plead with you, don't look at it as a law. Look at it as a privilege. It's not a law because if you don't have enough money to give even 1%, you're under no condemnation. You shouldn't feel guilty at all. You're not under that law. But you should be praying, how do I get to the place where I can tithe? But also, when you get to 10%, don't say, okay, I'm, oh, I'm here. Oh, thank God. <laughs> what does it say here? It, 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 it says, see if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out... Uh, such a blessing and there will not be room enough to receive it. Listen, i got to be very careful because there's a lot of terrible doctrine out there preaching wealth and prosperity. But as I, as I mentioned, Gary Crawford, my preacher at a Baptist church in Gainesville, Florida, <laughs> taught faithfully at the very beginning of my walk with God in my 20s. This is what it, I was a student. I had no money. It set my whole course uh, uh, whole life in the right course at the time. Very important. <laughs> and so 15 years later, money is pouring out of the sky. It was just insane. I mean, I, I, I could not believe how much money was coming to our family. And we were able to give somewhere between 40 and 60% for a year. There was one year, and there was other years that we gave many, actually many years, we gave over 10%. Don't look at it as a law. Look at it as a privilege. Look at it as what you're spending your life on. I want to, to conclude with this. With these two verses. Looks like it's going to be one verse. 2 Corinthians 9 verse 7 says this. Do we have that, Dave? 2 Corinthians 9 7 says, Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. 